This is Socrates and you are listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Three of the Yellow Wall Pod. I'm your host Stefan Butzko, and I'm here to talk about all things Borussia Dortmund with three other guys on this panel. There are Lars Pollmann from Bleacher Report. Hello, Lars. How are you doing? Hi, Stefan. Pretty good as always. That is nice. Also here, Luca Gill from Berlin. Hello, Luca. Hello, Stefan. How are you? I'm in a bad mood, but other than that, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm confident this won't change throughout this episode. So uh, maybe Konstantin Eckner from Spielverlagerung is in a better mood. Hello, Konstantin. Are you? Yeah, sure. Hello, Stefan. That's good to hear, Konstantin. Um, so, yeah, we will talk a little bit about Borussia Dortmund's 2-1 loss in Frankfurt. Scrutinize that. And afterwards, we will preview the next home match against Borussia Mönchengladbach. And when we have done that, we will answer a couple of listener questions. Anyway... Let's talk about Borussia Dortmund's loss against Eintracht Frankfurt. They plummet down the table to seventh after just taking third place with a win against Bayern. So that's uh, pretty unsatisfactory, as Thomas Tuchel said. Uh, Lars, as always, I will come to you for the general takeaways. Yeah, I wasn't overly surprised with the defeat, simply because Frankfurt have been really good this season. I think I predicted a 1-1 draw, so we weren't too far off considering Dortmund had a shot a clang against the bar in stoppage time and at least one, I think we maybe talk about that a little later on, at least one, I'd say, uh, penalty appeal turned down when uh, I think it was Royce uh, was pulled down by the shirt and that was fairly blatant in my view, but uh, I guess they didn't really deserve one point, or I guess they had the, the chances to get three points from the game, but they certainly did not deserve to win this. Uh, I think most who will listen to this episode have uh, noticed at least some of the discussions surrounding comments made by Thomas Tuchel after the game where he completely blasted his team, and even though some perceive it to be a lack of uh, self-awareness or however you want to call it from on his part, I think in general, he was just right. The performance was uh, unacceptable in many ways. They were lackadaisical. They lacked sharpness. The conceding twice from kickoffs uh, is just unacceptable and happened against Ingolstadt before. So it's not like that was a first this season. So just in general, a very poor performance, perhaps the worst of the season, which unfortunately is saying something because there were some poor performances when we remember games against, for example, Leipzig or Leverkusen, or uh, most of the game against Hertha, for example. So, another poor performance, uh, and they really need to start picking up some points starting this week against Lenschengladbach. Yeah, probably, and uh, it would be good for Borussia Dortmund's sake to go on a winning streak in the Bundesliga now. Um, Luca, I thought the first half, though, wasn't really all that bad. No, it wasn't all that bad, but it wasn't good either. I mean, uh, there were a few half chances. 
mostly created by uh, Ramos flicking on the ball or heading it on to Aubameyang and then uh, Schürrle had one chance, Aubameyang had a chance. But yeah, the ball didn't go in. And then, like last said, it's unacceptable to concede a goal like 15 seconds after kickoff and for the second half, and that destroyed everything. I mean, at least defensively, the first half was okay. I think they conceded one shot in the first half, if I'm not mistaken. And that's all right. I mean, that's that's good. Um, but And if you score one of those half chances, it's also fine. And if you keep the game at nil-nil for longer, it's also fine. But yeah, you can't concede right after the kick off to the second half yeah it was Andre Schürrle who had two half chances as you said in in the game and I think we we all really hope for Aubameyang to score not because we were biased or anything just because it would have been an amazing goal where he flicked the ball over the defender and then just missed the goal it was really close but I think had he scored the the match would have gone into an entirely different direction but it didn't um Luise Howe asks what's your view on Tuchel's interview after the Eintracht match Luca, I think you are the one to answer just that question. <laughs> I mean, like like Lars said it, first of all, he was right. I mean, the team sucked, especially in the second half or parts of the second half. And I, for one, don't think he excluded himself from from the narrative or from the from the criticism. He said, our performance and in our game, there were so many things that went wrong. And I mean, he pointed out the techni technical stuff. Okay, that's that's not going to be him. But he pointed out the tactical stuff, and just uh, and that could also be inter. Uh, I mean, you could think that that he means himself with that. And uh, I wouldn't say that he totally excluded himself from the criticism. And even if he did, I, I still think uh, he was right. And when you Look at Instagram and look at what Aubameyang has been posting the recent days in his stories. I don't think the team is too down on it. And uh, the first training session, uh, was it yesterday, I think, where they played basketball, looked pretty fun as well. I don't think what many journalists seem to wish for, that the relationship between the coach and the team is broken. Uh, I don't think that is the case. I think there were a couple of media outlets like Süddeutsche or was it Welt? I'm I'm not 100% sure anymore that uh, said, you know, that it's worrying that none of the officials, namely Watzke and Sorg, backed Tuchel for that criticism. Um, you know, eventually that came maybe due to those reports where Watzke said, I think on, on the Borussia Dortmund homepage, that it's not his to always back the coach or, or you know comment on his narrative because it's it's up to Tuchel to you know create some talk, talking points himself after after such a game um nevertheless uh, we are also here to criticize Tuchel if need be um Konstantin a lot of discussion has been made about rotation that he is rotating too much that there are not any automatism in this side um looking at the lineup was there anything you would have done differently and if so why no not really i mean you in some cases you you cannot of course uh debate if maybe Sparta would have been the better choice um over ginter or if it's necessary to put ramos at the right winger position and let him just be uh you know your target guy for long balls which is good and bad and the same at the same time maybe bring on pulisic but yeah other than that um i for the lineup against frankfurt looked 
fairly, fairly good. And it's not the reason that uh, this team wasn't talented enough to beat a team like Frankfurt. So um, as I, I don't get the, the whole discussion about um, his like his policy as as for personal uh, because he has a team of 18, 19 players, I think. Um, sure, he he changes uh, some positions uh, from match to match, but overall, um, most of the guys. Le- know their role when they are when they are on the field like Piszczek he's only a right back uh when Paslak's on he's mostly a right back or a left back but a full back uh Castro most of the time plays like a right-sided center midfielder gets a mostly left-sided maybe right-sided but not really like the, he, he isn't he's not like throwing them around and letting gets to play as a I know Deep lying playmaker on the next match, he plays as a left winger. That's, that's not happening unless you are Rafael Guerrero who can play every role, I guess. Um, but other than that, th- those players, they know their roles and they know how to act within a 4-3-3 system. So yeah, I don't think that rotation is really the problem here. Yeah. A lot of arguments ha- have been made that players just hadn't had enough time to gel, uh, even though they should know their roles. Um, Lars, I want to hear your opinion on, on this as well. I think it's all hogwash. Uh, I looked at the numbers for an article this week and they have played 25 players, I believe, in total this season, but nine of them uh, haven't played more than at, at least one third of all the minutes. So that includes players coming back from injury only recently, such as uh, Dorm and Royce. And Schull, I guess, can be considered in the same category. And also players such as uh, Joho Park or Jakob Brunlarsen, Janis Bornic, all of whom have played only in, in one game or in Park's case, uh, about one and a half games. Uh, so it's not even uh, as radical as, as many people think. And then the case is also that most of the changes Tuchel has made uh, so far this season were forced changes. Uh, he had to deal with so many injuries in basically all parts of the team now that uh, Roman Bürki is also injured uh, for the first time in his Dortmund career that he never really had the chance to find the one eleven that works. Uh, I think we are now relatively close to that point. If Rafael Guerrero comes back relatively soon, I think the 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 eleven candidates or the the ten outfielders at least because we know about Bürki's situation that. Uh, Presumably comprise the, the, the best 11 or the A11, as we would say in Germany, are about to be fit at the same time for the first time all season. And I think uh, at that point, it would uh, start to become fair asking whether or not there were too many changes made. But as of this point in the season, most of the changes were forced. And uh, I think the, the most laughable narrative about the Frankfurt match is that uh, people who played decently uh, against Legia Warsaw in the week before needed to uh, play against uh, Frankfurt. Uh, I mean, you mentioned the Süddeutsche article from uh, Freddy Röckenhaus, who is perhaps the most respected BVB journalist out there, but, you know, he said that Shinji Kagawa and Nuri Shahin should have stayed in the team because they played so well against Legia Warsaw. First of all, they didn't because they only played well offensively and conceding four goals against Legia is not uh, something that uh, makes the coach want to keep you on the field. Uh, another thing is that Kagara was not even available because of physical ailment. So uh, what are we talking about here? We're talking about 
than beating a team that has no business being in the Champions League, uh, not even playing too well, in my opinion, because you can't concede four goals against them. And then you turn around and actually it makes sense to have a fresh team on the field against Frankfurt who don't have to play in midweek uh, the entire season because they're not in European competitions and they are flying high. They have a good team. They have a, a good chemistry with their coach. It made perfect sense to go back to most of the team that played on, uh, pretty well against Bayern, I think. So I don't understand the narrative uh, here, especially referencing the, the Ligia game. I'm with you guys on, on that, Luca. Um, now let's get on the, on the real issues here. And, uh, I don't know if I said it before, but I was very pleased more at, at, at least to a certain extent with Dortmund's defensive performance in the first half. And I thought that was very focused and, uh, aggressive enough to, to keep Frankfurt at bay, even though Frankfurt obviously didn't do uh, a whole lot to really attack as they were, were, uh, trying to pounce. On the counter, but nevertheless, uh, was it 15, 16, 18 seconds after the kickoff where uh, the ball was already in the net? And um, I think that's, a, that's the bigger problem here, Luca. Why are Dortmund napping all the time? And, uh, how can Tuchel actually fix that? Um, I, I mean, it's, I wouldn't call it all the time. It was, it happened three times now. I think, uh, one time against Ingolstadt and now in this game twice. I don't think that's something Tuchel can necessarily fix. Um, I'm not. I, I don't. I know too little in the field of uh, psychology um, to to really because I think that's that's not a physical problem. That's that's something that happens in the in the minds of a player, and especially for the second goal we conceded, that's just uh, like a, a few bad decisions made by by single players. And uh, Ginter is positioned badly. Uh, Rode doesn't see an obvious pass to Castro, who's wide open in midfield between the lines of um, Frankfurt, and would have an open path to to Frankfurt's goal. I mean, we're talking about a goal scoring opportunity probably for Dortmund if Rode plays that pass, but he doesn't, and he plays it to Ginter, who doesn't uh, know what's happening around him. Basically, has two players uh, running at him, then just plays a pass into nowhere. And it gets intercepted and Frankfurt play two passes um, to Hushi. Then Rode tracks back and does the old, uh, I have to defend the wing because Dembele is up front gambling. And But the guy who's really dangerous is in the middle and that's Seferovic and he's completely unmarked. And yeah, sometimes Seferovic also scores goals. And that's what happened there. I don't think that's anything Tuchel can can change the only thing he could could have changed was not putting Rode on the field and not buying Rode in the summer maybe <laughs> uh, not that he, it's necessarily only his decision to buy players but he probably didn't mind Rode That's yeah, we had thing. a lot of sorry yeah, we had a yeah. lot of questions about Rode actually uh when I, when I tweeted it out and uh also in in the same sense questions about Mikel Merino and and why he is never really receiving any chance well, I certainly cannot answer that. Maybe you, Lars, maybe Konstantin, I don't know. Well, we don't know what they are doing on the training pitch and the way I see Tuchel and we know a bit about him, not only from his Dortmund days, but also at Mainz, he never hesitated putting on players if they, if he believed they deserved their chance. And uh, I guess Merino hasn't done enough to convince him of that at this point. Um, 
I wrote today about Rode and how he has the makings of uh, a failed signing, which is fairly rare for Dortmund, especially a, a big money fail on the transfer market rarely happens for them, but it seems to me that, that it, it happened this time around. And uh, I remember back in the summer during the, the, the preseason friendlies, we were all, or most of us at least, I think Konstantin can pat himself on the back for being negative about Rode from the start. Uh, us other people, uh, us mere mortals were fairly impressed, <laughs> fairly impressed with what Rode did against uh, Man City, for example. And he, he did look good at the time. I mean, he deserved to be starting in the first few games of the season, but he's reverted so much. He doesn't add anything to the team in possession. He's out of position. He plays stupid passes. He now has cost the team maybe a point uh, or two. I don't, I, I can't really say that they would have turned around and, and, and won that game, but uh, they certainly looked pretty dangerous uh, once uh, Dembele came on. Uh, so whatever it is people saw in Rode who should know better than us, uh, they were probably wrong as well uh, as we were. So I don't know that they can let him go after after one season, but I don't really see much of a future for him in, at, at Dortmund. Yeah, which is obviously sad um before we we talk a little bit more about the second goal because i think there are a couple of uh more points to be made um constantine thomas Tuchel made three changes uh in the 58th or 59th minute and uh i think that actually never happened before in the history of borussia dortmund that uh dortmund coach made three changes at once which is uh surprising uh but he did exactly that um obviously rhoda came on um also Dembele for Ramos and uh, Lars just said it. Um, you know, once he was on the on the field, it, it worked way better. Um, do you think fielding Ramos on the right wing was a mistake? Not necessarily a mistake, but um, it's a problem when you go in, into a match and you have your most powerful or your um, your guy who's most powerful in the air uh, on the right side, and you're basically telling your your players or hinting at them. At, Guys, just play some long balls down to our Colombian guy. He was like, he could win a few air duels and then maybe, you know, put the ball to Aubameyang or behind the line and then behind the, the, the Frankfurt's back line and then maybe Aubameyang can pick it up and score from there. So I don't think it, it wasn't necessarily a mistake, but I don't really like that kind of mindset when you go into a match. Um, however, Armas has had some decent and even some good games when I think back um, when I watched the Bayern Munich uh, match for instance that, that was a great role for him but he wasn't like a right winger for the most part he, at the end of the match he, he played on the ring um, but he was like the, the second striker up there and he uh, tried to pick his spots uh, tried to pick up some some passes some balls um, near the back line um, but more on the ground um, not, not really in the air um, so yeah, I don't really know what what the plan was here, or if it was really a smart plan to you know put him there at the right side. Um, and as for the changes uh, after fifty eight minutes, I mean it's just Tuchel getting a little bit angry, and also wants to send a message to his team that guys, <laughs> we need to do more than that, and we are behind a goal and. Yeah, bringing on fresh legs, um, Dembele and, and Royce for your attacking line. Um, yeah, it was maybe, uh, one, it was sending a message and two, it was really bringing on fresh legs and, um, challenging 
Frank Frankfurt's defenders in a new way, given you have Royce and, and Dembele who are very fast and, and in Dembele's case, who are really agile and who can, you know, take on defenders like Ochipka or Vallejo and maybe, yeah, fool them here and there. So, yeah. Well, if I might say with hindsight, I actually wouldn't have started Ramos, but obviously that's very easy to say. I would have split his game time between Pulisic and uh, Dembele, who both played against Legia. But uh, Tuchel said it himself that uh, the intensity in that match wasn't really as high, that uh, he didn't even have to take Marco Reus off after 60 minutes. So I'm confident that those two could have played uh, in, in this match as well, at least started and then, you know, play 60 minutes or so, considering um, there's no there's no midweek game after that where they should play. But one thing we have to consider, I mean, uh, Constantine said it, the plan from Tuchel was to play long balls um, because he doesn't seem to think, and I think he's right in that, that Dortmund can play out of pressing right now. They they just can't. And especially when, I mean, Frankfurt had two players surrounding Weigel and basically hunting him whenever he turned. And they man-marked our uh, two central midfielders in Castro and Götze. He had no outlets there and they uh, clocked the passing lanes to the fullback. So Weigel had nobody to play to. And Weigel lost the ball twice or even more times in a pretty dangerous spot. And I think Tuchel knew that before the game, that that's not going to work, at least not throughout the game. And then you have this one uh, plan. I don't like it. Like Constantine said, that's also my opinion. I don't like the plan, but I can see what he did there. I mean, he wanted an outlet and Ramos didn't actually play on the wing, uh, at least on when Dortmund had the ball. He was a he was a secondary striker or played in the half space. And Dortmund had an outlet station when they didn't break through Frankfurt's pressing. Otherwise, it would have been Aubameyang up front, and we know how little Aubameyang enjoys uh, an air duel or just heading the ball. And yeah, I, I can see why Tuchel did it. It didn't work out, but we also have to uh, yeah, say that Dembele came on against really tired legs. I mean, he looked amazing. He almost scored a goal. He assisted a goal. But he played against Frankfurt players who chased Dortmund around for uh, 60 minutes. And that's that's a different thing than playing from the start. And that contributed to him looking so good. So we can't ignore that. No, ob obviously. But, you know, if you play Pulisic, for example, for 60 minutes and then bring the Belo on, you still have the same effect. But obviously, I think I, I already told you that I also understood what Tuchel's plan was. I just said in hindsight it might have not worked out as well. But then again, um, we also have to say that looking at the expected goals, Dortmund could have won that game, um, but they didn't. Um, last, we talked about this before the show too, and that was uh, Roman Weinfeller. Could he or should he have kept the second goal out? I think the second goal is a goal you expect your goalkeeper to save if you are a team challenging for the Champions League spots. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Dortmund have to expect whoever is in their goal to keep it out. Uh, I think we we all have seen that kind of goal uh, conceded by Weidenfelder a million times uh, nowadays. He's 36. The the joints aren't working as well as they sh as they as they once did. He's not as agile as a as a jumper, you know. But he never was, if if I may say. He never really 
was good at defending balls from distance. No, but it's not necessarily only about distance. Weidenfeller used to be a, a crazy good athlete, even for goalkeeper standards, and nowadays he just isn't anymore, but he, and he can't be. I mean, I'm still not overly concerned with Weidenfeller being the number two goalkeeper, because I think uh, just as a person, he's important to the team structure in general. And uh, it's not like he's played terrible football. He's been really unlucky as well with his defense not giving him much uh, cover in the last two games since he's been the number one again. He's conceded, I think, six goals from 11 shots on target, which isn't only his fault because especially the goals uh, Legia scored were were all from close range and, and high scoring chances, I would say. I, I don't think he made a mistake in that game. So... Uh, to get back to the question, I think there's there's little doubt that uh, Roman Burki would have kept the second one out, but uh, who's to say that he wouldn't have made another mistake? I think it's always too easy to blame only the goalkeeper for the, for those things. I think we're all the last here to actually blame Go- Weidenfeller for that goal. I mean, there were so many mistakes beforehand. And um, Konstantin, looking at the bigger picture now, um, Dortmund have 27 goals. And uh, RB Leipzig show that you can actually top the table with that amount of goals. But Dortmund also conceded a bucket load. Is it 14 or, or even more? I think 14. Um, how can they shore up their defense and maybe even also their backtracking? What has to happen that Dortmund concede less? Well, that's the one million dollar question, right? Uh, like first, you sh- or Toro should at least try um, to improve their pressing, especially the high press. Um, you mentioned early Leipzig. Well, they show how you can. I mean, of course, their system is based on high pressing, uh, quick turnovers in the middle, and then counter attacks. But still, you see what a what a good, uh, sophisticated high pressing can do in the Bundesliga, um, especially where I'm not too um, serious about. Like the early turnover, uh, getting the ball from the center back, but, you know, like leading to, to turnovers in midfield and then from there, um, starting a transition attacks. So, I mean, Dortmund, they have shown that they are capable of, you know, setting up a high press, um, and setting up turnovers, but only for, you know, portions of, of matches, uh, 10 minutes here, 20 minutes there, maybe uh, 45 minutes in another match, but not consistently. And that's, that's of course, a problem. Uh, and um, Tuchel also should improve some details here and there. But I think, yeah, that, so it, it's very hard or it will be very hard for him to improve the pressing uh, when your team is not fit enough to go at 100% for 90 minutes. And I... I've mentioned it before and I will stay by the comment, my statement that, um, at this point, Dortmund has some conditioning problems. Um, yeah, the next thing, it, individual mistakes happen and I don't really know what a coach, especially at this stage and at this point can really do about it. Uh, we talk about a Bundesliga team with some 20 somethings and uh, about a, a under, under 14 team. So it's, it's, it's really, it's really tough for a coach to do, uh, much work in this department because like he just has to ac- expect them to be flawless, uh, as for defending. I mean, it will never happen, but at, at least not making too many mistakes. Um, yeah. So. I don't really know what he could do there. Uh, maybe one like tactical aspect is that when Dortmund is forced to 
defend their own penalty box. They make some mistakes, not protecting the backspace, not protecting like the, the, the second row, um, 25 meters away from their goal. That's, that's surely a problem. Um, and they should improve there, um, in order to, you know, concede less goals. Um, so two things, uh, um, plus individual mistakes, you know, really, can or can only do little things about it and not really much um as a coach so yeah uh, i of course forcing your pl- your players to do a lot of uh, defensive actions uh throughout the match by not having a, a good high press a sophisticated pressing first that that maybe leads to more mistakes it also plays a part that the possession game is worse this season than last season and now you just have to defend more and uh Last season, I mean, many people are now claiming that Weigel can't defend that space alone or can't build up alone, but he did so last season. I mean, he had the help of Gunnarn, obviously, in build up, but defensively, he kept his own, basically defending the entire number six uh, space. The problem this season is that they're just losing the ball more often in the early stages of possession. And then, obviously, it's it's tougher to defend then. So that's that's my main problem and the the pressing is something uh Constantine already mentioned and i would also say the counter pressing is worse than last season they for some reason i think it plays a role that they had a lot of injuries uh which i would like to talk about later uh, still in, in combination with the rotation as well um so that doesn't allow them to play this high intensity counter pressing which which just takes energy and their positioning isn't as good, but also the energy is in, in a few games was just ridiculously low. And I think that has to do with like Constantine said with, with conditioning, but also with injuries and people just coming back from injuries and all that stuff. I agree to some extent. Um, I think yet their counter pressing has been weaker compared to last season, obviously. Um, but also they lose the ball in like weird zones where they really can't apply counter pressing afterwards. It's like, it's something that happens to a lot of Bundesliga teams, by the way, to, I've, I've seen it, uh, in Hertha matches and, and Cologne matches. Like, uh, sometimes the, uh, team is, is, is good at counter pressing, but loses the ball in, in zones where there are only maybe one or two players behind the ball. And so, there's no really um, a chance to apply counter-pressing effectively. Um, and that ha- has happened to Dortmund uh, to some extent. They, because of their weak build-up play, because of like um, inconsistency uh, when they try to build up attacks, then they lose the ball uh, really deep in, in the half spaces um, when 75% of the team are already mo- moving forward. And so that's also a problem that um, weakens your counter-pressing. Thus, um, we we talked about the build-up now, and uh, it might have to do, maybe, I don't know, I let you decide uh, that teams have figured out that uh, marking Weigel out of the game is a smart move. And Andreas uh, on Twitter asks, who can help him? Uh, he was being isolated by opponents in recent games. Uh, yeah, who can who can fix that? Well, for, for starters, I don't think teams have not figured that out. Uh, the same happened to Weigel last season to some extent, but then he had Ilkay Gundogan next to him, Mats Hummels behind him, two of the, I don't know, let's there say 15 best players in the world in, in build-up situations or top 20 or whatever you want to, wherever you want to rank them. Uh, so this season, it's 
most of the time uh, Götze or Castro next to him, both of whom look much better when they are playing a bit more advanced. And uh, Ginter, Batra or Socrates in behind. And I mean, Socrates, uh, as I wrote last week, is probably the best team, uh, the team's best player this season, but you don't want him on the ball in the build-up situations too often. And uh, both Ginter and Batra have been somewhat erratic in that department. I think Batra has really uh, regressed from his early season form. Maybe his injury played into that, but he's not close to the same level he, he already showed for Dortmund, which I guess also serves as uh, as a hopeful thing. You know, he, he should be able to regain that level of performance and be much more help to Weigel. And then, you know, the, the, the big thing for basically the entire season is they need to get Rafael Guerrero back as soon as possible and they need to put him in bubble wrap between games uh, so he doesn't keep missing games. I mean, it's it's bad enough that we have to think about a 22-year-old who never played more than a few games per season in midfield coming from Lorient in Ligue 1, which is not a great league by any uh, stretch of the imagination. It's bad enough that that guy is the is the savior of Dortmund's midfield, but it is what it is, and he's only played in midfield or in central midfield in four games, and I don't think he played 90 minutes in all those four games, so that's how dire the situation in central midfield is this season without a like-for-like like Gundogan replacement, which really comes back to bite Dortmund in the ass this season as uh, uh, pessimists already uh, concluded after the summer transfer window ended without them getting one in for Gundogan, and they need to get him back, keep him healthy, and hope for the best. I don't really think there's much else they can do. They can obviously try to sign someone in the winter transfer window, but as we talked about in previous episodes, it's always difficult to get a, get a decent deal done in, in January with uh, not a lot of clubs willing to let go of uh, players who are on a level that can help Dortmund. And I mean... We're talking about Gladbach relatively soon in this episode, and they have that one guy who may be able to help Dortmund a little bit, going by the name of Mahmoud Dahoud, but I don't really think he's going to be available in, in the winter, so they will likely have to make do with what they have, and you know that, that means for me they will struggle all season with some of those elements we've talked about already, and uh, they have really have to hope that once they can play with the with the best 11 guys they, they can find for, for for each match day, that there's some more automatisms to uh, steal your word for once uh, uh, coming into play. And maybe they can get on a bit of a roll, but, you know, it's not... I think it's borderline impossible that we see them have, you know, a second half of the season with 10 wins on the spin or something like that. I don't think the, that this team has that kind of level uh, of performance in them this season especially looking at their uh, inconsistencies against various teams Luca you wrote it in your article uh, Dortmund we have a problem um, where you pointed out that Dortmund against passive teams you know is doing much better than against teams that play aggressively against them and that also shows uh, how their shots and and uh, their, their games basically vary depending on the opponent they play so uh You know, it can look very good against one team the one weekend. You know, you would expect the same against the next team. Uh, you know, on on the on the following weekend, but it doesn't always go that way. Um, I think we can more or less knock the discussion on the head, and uh, in the second part, we will come back and talk about Gladbach. 
right, welcome back to part two of the Yellow Wall part. Now it's time to look ahead. We're recording this on a Wednesday evening. So um, we haven't heard the, the pre-match presser, obviously. But nevertheless, it's time to preview the match against Gladbach. And Lars, I heard you watched a lot of them. Yeah, I'm I'm a closet Gladbach fan, obviously. I'm I mean I follow every team that has Jonas Hofmann on it. So if I'm not the perfect expert to talk about Borussia Mönchengladbach, whom I have seen, I think twice this season, and I only once really paid attention to it. So bring it on. Well, maybe you may point out where they are on the table. I think they're like twelfth, thirteenth, or something. I mean, they're yeah, they they are thirteenth. Yeah, they are really in a bad spot this season, and. I mean, uh, regular listeners who listened to us last season already kind of know that we are all not the, the biggest fans of their head coach, Andre Schubert, who somewhat inexplicably received a contract extension this season, despite their lacking results. And I, I, I mean, uh, the, the, their weakness away from home under Schubert is almost legendary at this point. I, I, have the their results uh, in front of me in in away games this season they have lost 3-1 at Freiburg they have lost 4-0 at Man City they drew 1-1 with Leipzig i don't know how exactly that went uh, that happened um they lost 4-0 against Schalke when Schalke had lost all five games to start the season at that point They lost 2-0 at Bayern, which is okay, I guess. Uh, they lost 3-0 at Hertha, and uh, yeah, that was the, the last away game. So in terms of results, they are not really in a good spot. And, and one of the, the games I paid a little more attention to was the, 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 the Rhein derby, or however you want to call it, against Cologne, which they lost 2-1 uh, at home, but were the better side for by all accounts for 60, 70 minutes, and I think the same more or less happened in the 1-1 draw against Hoffenheim at, on the last match day. So those were the two last Bundesliga games, and then they had a 1-1 draw uh, against Man City in the Champions League, where they looked decent, I think. So maybe their performances are looking up now that they have gotten back uh, who I believe is the best relatively unknown player in the Bundesliga in Raphael. So it's uh, it's not like uh, you look at the table, see Gladbach 13th, having lost all those w games away from home and think it will be a walk in the park for Dortmund. I think it's going to be fairly tricky, also just because Dortmund are not in the in the best shape themselves. Yeah, maybe Rafael Guerrero will return. I assume it will still be too early to uh, for Sven Bender. Um, Konstantin, what kind of Match do you expect? I mean, Lars already pointed out Gladbach only have one point so far uh, from five away games. Meanwhile, Dortmund are the third strongest team in the league with uh, four wins and two draws from, from six games. So just going by home and away form, this should really favor Dortmund. But as Lars said, might not be a foregone conclusion. No, it isn't really. Um, Gladbach is, is a team that can make you look stupid, uh, in some occasions at least. Uh, so it's, it's really, it's really a game to lose for Dortmund at this point. Uh, because I, Gladbach, they've shown that, yes, they are still capable of beating a, a team like Dortmund, but given their position, uh, uh, right now and given like the form and given all, all the matches they, they lost, uh, recently, I think it's really Dortmund's game to lose, but, 
despite having lost to to Frankfurt. That's not really something you should uh, still be then concerned about when you go into a match with Gladbach. Um, they also prefer like a system that's now fairly common in, in the Bundesliga or for back five, back three, back five, uh, where they use all five players to get around uh, opposing pressing line and then moving the ball for, uh, forward right towards players like Stindl and Raphael if they are fit. Um, like their issue uh, lies in the center of midfield where Dahoud um, has been more on the bench than on the pitch, uh, although he uh, has now played a few games. Um, Kramer hasn't had the impact uh, most club fans wish he would have. Um, and Strobel is re- uh, very limited, um, especially in, in like his attacking abilities are very limited, at least that. Um, so you have, you have to deal with a team that will try to move the ball very quickly forward down to the strikers and then create something from there. Um, so Dortmund, yeah, Dortmund just has to be ready and alert uh, just to make not too many mistakes against uh, Tlatbein and against their build-up. Um, if they can keep them at bay and just not letting them uh, penetrate their uh, Dortmund's defense and Dortmund's, um, like the deep zones, then I think Dortmund could win the match or should win the match. Um, but uh, given Dortmund's recent performances, you never really know if they not make one or two crucial mistakes and then they're behind and then they have to react and then they have to come forward and then they make maybe another mistake or get or the, the uh, opposing team like Gladbach maybe hit them on the prey and then, yeah, it's done. So it's really Dortmund's game to lose if, yeah. I think I've explained it in short. <laughs> uh, Luca, is Gladbach a team that likes to hunt the opposition down and aggressively press, or do you expect a more passive shape from Andre Schubert in this game? Uh, they can do so. I mean, I saw parts of the Man City game, and they pressed them pretty high up the pitch, and they did so against Barcelona as well. So they can definitely do that, and I think... Bundesliga coaches know by now, or just from watching tape, they know that Dortmund don't like being pressed, especially men-oriented in, in, in central midfield. So I would think he would opt for that. But yeah, it's really strange. I mean, Dortmund have such a good home form. Um, I mean, I would I would say third is pretty good for this team in, in the home table. So yeah, like Konstantin said, you never know what you're going to get. I think it'll be hard. It'll be harder than the... 13th uh, spot of Gladbach says but we also had that against Ingolstadt and even partly against Hamburg uh, they just made so many mistakes so (laughs) there was no problem for us but yeah uh, I think it'll be it'll be a tough game and could go either way really. Lars how do you expect Dortmund to show up after I don't know if it's the first full week of training in the season but it is a a full week of training in the in the season and who do you expect to start is it Marco Royce back in the starting lineup well, first of all it is the first full week of training since the official game started and uh, so since the super cup yeah because i mean you could make the argument that it's basically a full week of training uh, after the cup match the first round uh, which was on a monday night so it, it's not it doesn't make a huge difference the, that one day they had 
presumably had a day off this week as well. So uh, it is uh, at least uh, if we factor in all the international breaks, which we obviously should the, the first time uh, since August that Tuchel has had a full week uh, on the training pitch. And uh, as we've learned the last few days slash weeks, most of the players are back in team training or in the case of someone like Neven Zubotic already playing for the under-23 team. So a full complement of players, uh, which should lead to some uh, selection dilemmas, uh, we should hope. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, Marco Reus will be in the starting lineup Um He looked really good against uh, Legia, even factoring in the level of or the lack of competitiveness from uh, the opponent. I mean, he played 90 minutes, which to me was almost more important than him scoring two or three goals because the third goal seems to have been the judge being a, uh, being an own goal. Um, so I expect him back. I don't expect to see Rafael Guerrero, unfortunately. So it's likely to be going to be the, the same midfield trio of Weigel, Castro and Götze that we have seen uh, in recent games with various degrees of success, uh, with the Frankfurt game being perhaps the worst game uh, Weigel has ever played for Dortmund and Götze was really poor as well, so they need some improvement there. Um, I should hope to see Bartra again starting over Ginter, uh, even though I understood why Ginter played over Bartra against Frankfurt. I think he had earned that shot, but he didn't make the best uh, use of it. So back to square one, I guess. And uh, Bartra seems to me a bit more stable as a defender than Ginter, who can make the odd mistake more, even though both of the guys aren't really, you know, rock solid like Socrates has been this season. So whoever plays there is a bit of a weak link, I think. But uh, I think Bartra gives Dortmund the best chance. And other than that, you know, I think that there won't be too many surprises uh, unless there are new injuries. I think uh, like nine of the 11 spots are basically a given uh, considering the personnel situation. Yeah, if I may add, Marco Roy scored uh, four, four goals in six games against Gladbach. So he has a very good rate against them. Uh, maybe something to consider. Um, Luca, I know people might get tired of this question, but nevertheless, since we have a lot of American listeners, would you start Christian Pulisic once again in this match or would you hand to start to, let's say, Usman Dembele or start both? And what about Schürrle? Um Yeah, I'm, I would be hesitant to start Schürrle and Royce together. Uh, just a bit too, too much directness and too bit too limited on the ball although Royce looked pretty I would even say he looked kind of good after coming on against Frankfurt not sure if you guys agree with that um but yeah I would sort of yes yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't start those two together so and the same pretty much goes to Pulisic and Royce um I would go for like a more dribbly uh creative player outside and maybe start Royce and Dembele together just think they'd be a better fit but uh it also obviously depends on what Tuchel has in mind and what the plan what the game plan will be if he wants to create turnovers and just press them high then Schürrle and Royce or yeah if if Royce or Schürrle can't start then Pulisic um, they would make sense so yeah kind of depends on on all those factors all right fair enough uh unless anyone else has something to say on that game let's move on to predictions Constantine Right, well, the most important question is, of course, uh, will 
Jonas Hofmann score against Dortmund. Well, he came very close last season. So yeah. I was I was thankful for that shot. Yeah, I think had he scored, Gladbach would have gotten a draw at least or something. Because it was le- very late in the game. But, yeah. you know, my memory is a little bit clouded yeah, when think it so. comes it was to Jonas like Hofmann. 80, 80, in the mid-80 minutes, 85 or something. Yeah. So, predictions, predictions, Konstantin. I go with a 2-0, uh, unless uh, Jonas Hofmann <laughs> plays. Then I go with a 3-0. <laughs> <Wow. laughs> No, just kidding. Two nil. Okay, um, Lars. I think it's going to be a tight game with the scoreline, perhaps not really reflecting that because Dortmund have so much individual quality going forward, and Gladbach seem to, or seem to me at least, to concede some silly goals this season. So I'm going with a three-one win for Dortmund. And Luca. Uh, ever since Dahoud started playing for Gladbach, they look a lot better. So I'm going for a one-one draw. All right, I'm going for a 2-1 win for Dortmund. Uh, nice and tight. Shocking. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Hausfrauen tip. Yep, there we go. All right, with the predictions over, it's uh, time to read out some listener questions and hopefully answer them. Um, there have been a couple of questions. I will just sum them up about uh, Henrik Bommann, our third goalkeeper, or right now second goalkeeper. And uh, the question was whether... Bumann should play over Weidenfeller. Lars, shoot it down. No. I can give you a quick reason. That, therefore, uh, he's also maybe not worse, but on, the, on a similar level to Weidenfeller with his feet and yeah, has no experience, which I think is important as a goalkeeper and isn't that much better on the line either. All right, next question. Quentin Sosa asks, why is Tuchel after Toprak and not Tau or Süle? Konstantin? I think he's after Süle as well. Uh, I don't think it's really necessary to be after Tau because Leverkusen won't sell him. Uh, the, the situation with Toprak is uh, different. Um, so, yeah, it's it's at least... I mean, it, it, he could be a, a future signing, Uh Tar maybe in two or three years, but not now. All right. Uh, I already apologize uh, about making a mess out of your name, but Srikanth Zaga asks, uh, any truth to Timo Horn rumors, Lars? Nope. <laughs> We're getting the most out of Lars today. I mean, uh, uh, first of all, I'm not uh, overly interested in goalkeepers per se because it's a boring position to analyze. And second of all, Dortmund have a perfectly fine number one goalkeeper in Roman Birki who happens to be injured and uh, Weidenfeller is not a terrible number two. So uh, if they are... And then, lest we forget, they have for the first time in club history, I'm uh, inclined to say, a, a young up-and-coming goalkeeper in the second team who happens to also be injured in Dominic Reimann, who I think has the potential to be a Bundesliga starter, if not for Dortmund, then for someone else. So... I don't really see Dortmund investing heavily in that position in the future. And they even have another young, great goalkeeper uh, who has a great reputation, at least, and everyone who saw him play is uh, full of praise. Uh, Luca Umbehauen in the under-17, but it'll take some time until he but ha- I, has a I'm sure you can't wait for him to play just because of all the punts. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and it's it's funny how Luca changes his darlings. You know, uh, Weimann is now. You know, <laughs> no, he's also his... great, but injured. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I see you. I see you. I mean, Weimann listens to the Yellow Wall Pod. Everyone but Zimmerman does. 
Get well soon. <lacht> ja, genau. Get so mal into the goal. I mean, he can't be worse in goal than he is as a center half. <lacht> Poor Zimmermann. Hm. Uh, anyway, while, while we're on that topic, uh, Yellow B, I'm not sure why underscore blues is part of the Twitter handle there, but, uh, you know, he or she asks, what are the chances Patrick Fritsch make it to the first team? Luca? Uh, before his injury, they, there were plans to, at least as far as I know, there were plans to put him in the first team after he fully recovered and got some game practice in the, in the under 19 and sort of do it like they did with Pastak and Pulisic last season, have them train with the first team and play for the under 19s. No, he tore his ACL again. And yeah, you never know how he's going to come back, but he definitely was the most promising center back out of beautiful, out of Dortmund youth ever since Marian Zah and Corey Günther, probably. Uh, yeah, who also didn't make it, uh, partly due to injury, or uh, just, you know, yeah, Zah mostly due to injury and Günther, I'm not really sure why. All right. Captain Sam asks, do you guys watch much of Liverpool? In brackets, I heard they show all the league games in Germany. Lars? No. <laughs> I, well, I, 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 I knew I, they was coming. <laughs> I, I, I'm not even lying. I don't really like watching Liverpool for some reason. I mean, especially now that Klopp is there, there's so much hype around them uh, in Germany and everyone always talks about Liverpool like they're the biggest club in the world when they haven't won a champion a championship in England since when... Uh, Since I think they won one in my lifetime and I was born in 89, so they're not as important as people make them out to be. So I prefer watching for in England, I prefer uh, City and, and Spurs because they play to me more pleasing football. Just I, I like possession football more than clubs heavy metal. I've spent seven or uh, seven years watching that for Dortmund and was great and great and fine and, uh, really successful and I'm forever grateful but it's time for some change for for my eyes at least. All right, Constantine, are you sleeping in Liverpool bed sheets? No, not really. Um although I have a few friends who are really um Liverpool supporters, more than supporters I think. Um like what's the question about how Liverpool uh, plays? No, just whether you watch it or not. Just a random question. All right, yeah, just I uh, watch it. I mean, they are great up front. They are really bad. In defense, what's not to like? They, what's not to <laughs> like? <laughs> yeah, and and also also club club like considers to sign more strikers <laughs> or more <laughs> attacking players. Um and yeah, and his his like B lineup uh, at center back is um uh, uh Lukas Leva, Lukas Leka, uh, and, and Ragnar Lavan. So congratulations, club. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's still great, but also a little bit uh, a maniac. Yeah, there's a question from <laughs> Stefan Wutzko. He asks, will the annoying rumors uh, connecting Christian Pulisic with Liverpool ever stop? Lars? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and then there was another question from Andreas, and he asked, what is the best position for André Schöle? He seems lost. Luca? I don't think he seems lost. The bench. <laughs> I knew uh, Constantine would say that. Uh, I don't think he seems lost. He, he just isn't amazing. He's okay and uh, has some good moments but he's not amazing and uh, his favorite position is there is the position he's playing at and that's the left wing position not i don't think Wh which also happens to be marco reus's best position and preferred position so yeah so i hope we won't see them together on the pitch too often so we get some tension there Ooh. tune in next week <laughs> yeah because they actually might play both 
might. Um, both both on the left wing. Uh, yeah. the, the Royce played a lot on the right wing last season, so. Yeah, but if he, I think it wasn't it against Gladbach even in the first uh, game of the second half of the season when he was visibly upset with having to play on the right wing and and you know, but he scored was pouting and all. Yeah, I mean he's it's Marco Reus. He's still a very good player on the right, but he yeah. he obviously prefers to play on the left. So and Schürrle can't play on the right. That's the problem. Schürrle really only is effective when he comes in from the left wing. So that's but the that's thing really, we can't. Oh, sorry. What? Yeah, it, it, I think it is a, a situation that that bears watching once they stay healthy for long enough, which you know is never a problem with Marco Reus because, as we all know, the next injury uh, is never far away for him. That's what I was going to say. I mean, with Reus, you have to be really careful to um, give him not too much game time and not too little. So he hardly ever played for ninety minutes uh, under Tuchel last season. He did now against Liga, but like you said, there wasn't much intensity in that game. So I think uh, Royce probably won't play too uh, too often, like twice in the in the space of a few days. So there should be enough game time for both. Yeah, definitely. Royce will be nicely wrapped in in uh, bubble wrap and cotton wool, so we can we can be sure that Schuller has enough game time if he's fit or other players. Um, then there's one question I actually have. Lars, why hasn't Julian Weigel extended his contract yet? They said it would happen in fall. It's still fall, but still. I mean, it's not fall where I'm living because it's freezing uh, at night. But uh, they did did they say which fall they meant? I mean, he's under contract until, until until 2019, so it's not it's not like they need to get it done now. And you know. I'm still fairly confident he will extend his contract at some point. Maybe they are talking about money. Wouldn't be too surprising. But uh, the the important thing is that he's not going to leave the club next summer. And beyond that, it's anyone's best guess uh, how long a player truly remains at the club. Wonderful. And with that, we can give it to Luca Giel, who wanted to say something. (laughs) (laughs) First of all, I just we talked about rotation earlier, but I thought... I looked it up a bit and I looked at the injuries we had in the beginning of the season. And since so many people are blaming rotation for our struggles and the lack of automatism, like you would say. Uh, but we had like a few muscle injuries as well. For example, Bartok, Guerrero, Schmerz and Socrates. And that happened when they played quite a few games consecutively. Um, so... That, for me, would be one argument to say that rotation maybe isn't all that bad, especially now, ever since Tuchel really started rotating, which I think most people started complaining when it was the Ingolstadt match, but he kind of did so before, like Leverkusen, Hertha maybe. Ever ever since then, the, the injuries just uh, yeah reduced. I think maybe Guerrero had, now has some muscular problems, but he got them when he was with the national team if i'm not mistaken and other than that it's it's gotten less and the injuries gotten less so maybe he's doing something right there i mean yeah just just a thought and my main problem was basically with the i don't like to say the media because it's different outlets but a few a few of them uh, for example thomas uh Henneke from the kicker uh, one of the Besides, uh, Röckenhaus, one of the most well-respected Dortmund journalists, wrote before the, um, I think it was 
before the Ingo now after the Ingolstadt match, uh, Paslak didn't start in that match and he looked good before. And he wrote that Tuchel would be overprotective of uh, of his players, um, but he ignored that Paslak was just subbed off against Sporting like four days before that with cramps. And uh, his argument was that Paslak is so muscular, so uh, uh, yeah, that he doesn't need as much time to recover which is nonsense um just uh, simply put it's our way around by the way yeah exactly uh, simply put a player like when you when you do sports your muscles need oxygen to work and when you have loads of them you obviously need more oxygen so you get tired more quickly just the general rule of thumb and yeah you also need more time to recover And especially with players coming out of the youth system, you need, just need to be, yeah, you have to protect them. And Henneke, that was the the most, I would say, outrageous thing uh, anyone has written. But also the thing Röckenhausen wrote, which Lars mentioned that he wrote Kagawa should have started when Kagawa was injured. I mean, Tuchel said he has problems with his ankle. And I... I I don't mind criticism towards Tuchel. I criticized him. We we all criticized him, but I don't like it when you criticize someone without knowing anything about the topic. And I doubt any of those journals really knows much about the human body, to be honest, and how it functions and how it how it functions together with sports. And I mean, some journalists expected, and I mean for fans. It's a different story, but journalists, they have a reach. They reach people and they influence people. And they change the perception and they change even opinions of people. And in this case, they are basically changing the opinion against Thomas Tuchel. And yeah, for example, some of them expected Marco Royce to start. I mean, he was out for six months and he played 90 minutes on Wednesday. And they expect him to start on Saturday again. Are you kidding me? I mean, how little do you know? about how the body functions and how he has to recover and stuff like that just you know just feels wrong um and i don't like the media coverage of Borussia Dortmund in the in the past few weeks and especially of Thomas Tuchel he doesn't do himself a favor with not talking with them but i think that's that's also kind of right because he is the coach and he has to coach the team and i don't like how the yeah how the articles are going pretty much against Thomas Tuchel and are, yeah, just are not, not based on knowledge, but just based on assumption. And yeah, that's basically it. All right. With those happy words, we conclude this episode, unless anyone else of you guys has something to say on that topic. That's a resounding no, I hear. So, uh, yeah, that was episode 163. Um, I will show you guys out now. It was a pleasure to have you all back. Last, you can start with telling people where they can find you on the internet and your written stuff. They can follow me on Twitter at Lars Polman and read my distinctively pro-Tuchel narrative pushing uh, on bleacherreport.com. What a shame. What a shame. Always so biased, Lars. I don't, I don't know what to say. That's, that's uh, outrageous. But nevertheless, you can find my pro Tuchel BIS writings on ESPNFC. <laughs> <laughs> and my own Twitter handle at Stefan Butzko. Um, Luca? Uh, yeah, just 
a quick shout out to Spox and uh, Stefan Osfeld who wrote nice articles. Uh, not biased, biased, but just, you know, just wrote how it is basically. Uh, not to get too negative about the press. Uh, you can find my written work on the Yellow Warpod uh, with two recent articles. I wrote stuff again. And uh, my Twitter handle is Luca Gier. That is nice. Where can people find you in Berlin? No comments. Okay. Konstantin? People can find my RB Leipzig biased work <laughs> on spielverlagerung.com and spielverlagerung.de for German listeners. Um, they can also find me on Twitter at uh, cc underscore e-c-k-n-e-r. And if that was too quick for you, we will, as always, have the Twitter handles in the show notes. Um, if you want to reach all of us, you can do that on Twitter at Yellow Wallpod or on Facebook slash Yellow Wallpod. Uh, you can write our, uh, you can read our written stuff on yellowwallpod.com where you can also contact us via the contact form. You can listen to the show on SoundCloud, Stitcher and on iTunes. You can also subscribe, obviously, and give us a nice rating. And yeah, that would, would be all for this week. We will be back after the Gladbach game for Real Madrid preview. Goodbye.